This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks, and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural, and always free from sweeteners, fillers, and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com. That's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com. Use the code FABULOUSLY10, that's one zero, to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases. Not valid on subscribe and save. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 176 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And we just have a couple of days until we kick off our 30-day carnivore challenge. But there are still three spaces available if you'd like to join us. Just go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash 30DCC hyphen Jan 24. If you're interested in paying in dollars rather than in pounds sterling then you can email me or message me and I can arrange that for you um, going forward anything I do in future will have uh, a dollar option and a pound sterling option even though it will all get transferred by your bank so many of the members in the challenge are already starting to make some changes and the private group is open and members are chatting to each other. And we've decided that this challenge, each person is going to have a buddy, a one-to-one -one buddy, as well as the group accountability. Doing it in a group with others and a buddy means you're more likely to be successful than doing it by yourself. At the end of the 30 days, you will have a good idea if you'll benefit from being carnivore or not. You may shift some unresolved health issues that have persisted. Even if you decide it isn't for you, you will have learned something. Today, I'm talking to Moira Newis. I met Moira at the PHC conference back in May 2023. We were sitting next to each other at the sit down meal and she was telling me how she helps people with long COVID. So I wanted to get Moira on the podcast. In this episode, we had a slight problem and we had to re-record a section. So you'll hear me ask the same question twice. I left them both in because on each occasion, Moira said something slightly different. I wasn't sure how to edit it because I thought both responses were important. So I asked one of our listeners, Sue Bailey, to listen and see what she thought. And she thought the episode was great and that I should leave it as it is. So that's what I've done. Thanks, Sue, for your help. Here's a bit about Moira. Moira Newis specialises in helping men and women suffering with chronic fatigue conditions like ME, CFS, long COVID and fibromyalgia to regain their energy through a combination of nutrition and other lifestyle changes. She passionately believes that chronic fatigue is not necessarily for life and she herself has fully recovered, as has her son, who also had chronic fatigue. During her training, Moira became fascinated by mitochondria and how they control energy production and metabolic function, and in turn, how a ketogenic diet can make them work more effectively, producing less inflammation and more ATP, our energy fuel. Moira uses a food-first approach to make sure you're nourishing your body as much as possible. She will also support you to make changes in other aspects of your life 
such as sleep, stress, time spent outdoors, chemicals you might be exposed to, as well as supporting relaxation and joy in your life. Moira finds that this holistic approach provides the best results, layering up small changes until you get a significant change in how you feel. She can support you to help understand what might have gone wrong with your energy production and how to reboot it to get your energy back and your life on track again. Moira has used several ketogenic approaches in her work, including a paleo keto and carnivore keto approach. She has recently become interested in how autoimmune conditions can be reversed by an animal-based ketogenic diet and has recently successfully reversed her own thyroid autoimmune problem that she developed after a viral illness. So let's go and hear from Moira. Welcome Moira to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Jackie. I know it's been long overdue because we met in May. We're recording in November and probably it'll be another few months before this comes out as well. So long overdue because I was really excited to talk to you because we're going to talk about some cool stuff today. Yeah, no, it's great. I know. I think I enjoyed the conference we met at. So hopefully we'll see you this year as well. Yeah, I'm going. You? Yeah, yeah. I've just booked my hotel. (laughs) Oh, have you? I have got to sort out that. So, yeah, cool. Um, so, Moira, where in the world are you? So, I'm based um, north of a little town called Oban on the west coast of Scotland. That if you so if you go to Glasgow, it's about two and a half hour drive north of there. I'm very lucky; it's a beautiful place to live. I'm guessing because of all the lakes that you have to traverse round and things Loch Lomond and yeah they're all lochs up here but yeah we've got we've and it's been an interesting place to live recently because with the severe weather we had a few weeks ago we had lots of landslides so a lot of the roads have been shut um and in fact when we had to go on holiday a few weeks ago because it was so bad that day we actually had to drive further north before we could go south towards the airport so it was a long way around but but yeah it's it's beautiful my in-laws used to live in Tynebruch further south than you Yep, in the middle of absolutely I'll... nowhere. I learned to sail there as a child, so yeah, in the cold water. <laughs> <laughs> they they've then moved further south, and to oh, I remember now. I was thinking it's opposite Greenock uh, to Dunoon. They moved to oh, Dunoon, yeah. and then they came further south and moved to just outside Dumfries. And then my oh. father-in-law died last year, so yeah. Let's start with your story and about you and how you came to low carb keto and yeah, tell us a bit about you. So my background is that I spent 20 years working as a senior manager in the NHS and I eventually really ended up with burnout. I was doing quite a high stress job. Um, I loved the job. So if you'd have asked me, you know, I would have said to you, I really enjoy my job, but it was very stressful as well. So although there was lots of bits that were good about it, there were bits that were not so good. Um, And, you know, obviously the NHS is under a lot of financial strain these days. And um, it's not a very easy task being a manager, having to cut services. Um, So to cut a long story short, I had a few different jobs before I realised that, you know, things were quite bad, really. Um, And I was originally diagnosed with burnout and my energy was just through the floor really, but it got worse, unfortunately. So I was struggling and I was hiding it really. It wasn't that obvious to people around me because I was still smiling and um, kind of carrying on as best I could. But I did get to a point eventually where um, it kind of spiraled further downhill and I ended up on, on the couch, on the sofa, unable to look after my kids, to do the housework, to cook the dinner. So my husband was coming home and doing everything um and I was struggling just to go for walks outside let alone the kind of cycling or mountain climbing that I used to do so and I you know I was offered antidepressants I didn't want to take antidepressants because I didn't really feel depressed in my view I had lots of things I wanted to do in life lots of things I wanted to look forward to I was just really frustrated that I couldn't do them so so that's kind of what happened so I ended up really with chronic fatigue and um, eventually decided to quit my job actually because I began to realize that it was probably part of the problem making me ill with stress Um, and 
when I was struggling at work, I was also eating really quite badly a lot of the time. Overall, if you'd have asked me, I might have said, you know, I ate fairly well because I would have, you know, lots of protein and vegetables for my main meal. But what I'd be missing out is the fact that I couldn't get through a meeting without having cake and coffee. <laughs> so I was even known to leave a meeting at times to go and get my fix of caffeine and cake you know and come back again because I really needed it just to keep going to get through the day or to drive home again um energy up yeah so it wasn't just the stress there were other things going on that were not good um so I did quit my job and um really concentrated on trying to get well again um and I did it through I didn't know anything about the nutrition world or much about lifestyle medicine or anything like that at the time um but I just tried my best to de-stress myself I did meditation I did yoga I tried to eat much more healthily and I probably got about 80% better doing all of those things but I still couldn't couldn't climb the mountains couldn't ride my bike I remember being part way up a hill I tried again and just crying sitting down in frustration because I hadn't got very far I just literally my body just wouldn't do it um and anyway along the way I decided to retrain in nutrition because I got really interested in how nutrition could help and then during my training, I found out about mitochondria and about ketogenic diets. So I thought, well, you know, the advice when you're training is try things before you ask your clients to do these things. So I thought, OK, that's fine. I'll do a ketogenic diet. So I did a ketogenic diet for three months. And by the end of the three months, I was able to ride a five hour um, bike event, um, the Loch Ness ETAP, and I and I did it um, in under five hours, which was my aim as well. And I was just super pleased. And I do I remember crossing the finishing line, my family waiting for me, and the tears were just coming down my face because I, I kind of knew I'd cracked it. Like I knew there was no going back. The ketogenic diet had given me my energy back. So yeah, that's my story really. Wow. So when you thought you were eating healthily, now looking back to what you consider to be healthy were you then or were you still more western diet focused when when I was you said when you left work and then you okay. focused on the yeah. meditation and eating health yeah. more I, healthily I I suspect looking at my family history and what had happened now understanding a bit more now about metabolism I suspect I probably had some insulin resistance going on back then and I don't think I was dealing with with sugars very well um I've got a family history of um heart disease pre-diabetes dementia so there's a lot of things that stack up as being possibly more at risk of having insulin resistance and I think and I was eating a diet that was probably maybe not very high in carbs but definitely moderately you know because I didn't I didn't understand back then how all um starchy foods break down into sugar in the bloodstream I didn't have any understanding of you know how eating bread or cereal or anything like that would be impacting my blood sugar levels I, I would have known enough to know you know that eating cake wasn't a good idea but I was kind of addicted to it to be honest um you know and, and the other thing was that where I had an office in the hospital was very close to the canteen and there was a chocolate um vending machine just inside the canteen and a drinks uh, machine so you know, I'd be checking my watch about three o'clock, four o'clock. And, you know, I'd I'd go in when it was quiet and I'd get a hot chocolate and a, a Mars bar or something like that, you know. And that, to me, it was just my way of keeping me going to the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't really, I don't think I thought, I mean, I, I knew it wasn't good, but I I thought overall the balance was probably okay. Yeah. What I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're specialising, working with people with, um, ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia and long COVID. Could you, for the listeners, explain the difference between each of them and maybe some of the symptoms that people might associate with them if they, they're they wondering, what have I got? What What's going on for me? Yeah, okay. So they're, they're kind of known collectively as really a chronic fatigue type conditions. Um, so ME traditionally was 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 sort of separate to chronic fatigue syndrome. Quite often people talk about them collectively now. Um, one ME was a, was thought was really about it affecting the brain more and chronic fatigue was more about the body. But a lot of the time people do have symptoms that overlap between the two. Um, long COVID is 
specific to COVID, obviously, and having had the infection and then ending up with a chronic fatigue um, condition. Um, but the thing to bear in mind is that many people with chronic fatigue conditions end up um, with it being triggered by a viral illness. So that would fit quite well with why COVID has ended up with a long COVID problem. Mm -hmm. And fibromyalgia is, is um, tends to be more associated with pain. So if somebody goes um, with body pain, muscle pain, uh, you know, can often be fluctuating in different areas of the body. If that's the more predominant um, symptom, they will often get a diagnosis of fibromyalgia um, mm -hmm. instead of chronic fatigue. But people often get both. I quite, I've worked with quite a lot of people who've got a, a, a con, you know, diagnosis of, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome and long COVID, or chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Um, so it's a it's a it's a diagnosis in a way by excluding other diagnoses as well there's no test for it as such and um, so it's often uh, takes quite a long time for people to get a diagnosis and sometimes they never necessarily get a full diagnosis so what I didn't mention in my story is that is that my son's also had chronic fatigue syndrome um, you know, and during the three years where we were struggling with that and he was seeing a paediatrician as well as the GP, you know, I remember asking him at one point, you know, do you think this is chronic fatigue syndrome? And the answer was, well, yes, we do, but we don't want to put that diagnosis on him or on his record. So that's interesting because that kind of tells you that it's seen as a negative thing um, mm. to get the diagnosis. And that's the medical profession telling you that. So. Um, you know, whereas many, I'm not saying having a diagnosis is always a good thing, but many people would like to, to kind of prefer to have something so at least they know kind of what they're dealing with than be left with the unknown. But it does, you know, the pro, there are pros and cons, aren't there, in all of that, really. So, how old was your son at the time? He was eight, um, but he's fully recovered too, plays football, does all sorts of sports. Um, but it was it was a difficult time, um, you know, and he missed quite a lot of school. And that was obviously before the pandemic hit. So, you know, um, yeah, it was uh, not good from that point of view at all and wow. difficult as a parent. And and there is also, you know, it's quite it's not that uncommon for children of mothers who've had chronic fatigue to end up with a similar situation, actually. Um, and yeah, that's just it. Although these all these conditions tend to be more um, well, they're found more often in women than in men generally. Um, but, uh, it, you know, they can affect men and males as well. So I've heard it described and, and maybe you'll agree as a lack of and a lack of new, effectively being able to use the energy that you that you take in and need. Yeah, I think, well, I think what happens is that if you think of when you get any kind of, you know, like infectious illness, the body, you know, you, you end up being given what they would call sickness symptoms. So, you know, you want to put your head on the pillow, you want to have a rest, you don't want to move about, you know, you're very tired. And, and that's the body changing the way metabolism works to make you um, have symptoms that allow you to rest and recover. And I think that very much what happens with chronic fatigue is that you kind of have these symptoms, but you get stuck in that situation. Um, and I often talk about it being like almost like a type of hibernation or kind of a freeze frozen sort of situation where, you know, your mind might feel you can do other things, but your body's kind of not allowing you to. Um, and there is evidence that the mitochondria which I thought we'd come on to at some point, but the mitochondria Definitely. that make our energy in the body, you know, um, they can go into what's called cellular defense mode, which is when they are kind of operating in a way to um, protect the body. It's like a survival mechanism in a way. But unfortunately, when they do that, they turn down energy production. Um, so I'm sure that that is, um, you know, part of the reason why people with chronic fatigue have problems is that, you know, the body's busy trying to do other things, deal with inflammation or immune activation or whatever might be going on for that person. Mm. I mean, we've had a few podcast guests on who had um, ME or um, chronic fatigue fatigue syndrome. I'm not sure about fibromyalgia, maybe fibromyalgia as well. So a couple of people that I can think of the top of my head who have improved with a ketogenic diet. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I've done quite a lot of work now with people with 
any any of these conditions with the ketogenic diet not everybody does go fully keto people often people move towards low carb first um some people you know get better on that as well it's um but i would what i would say is that the people who've uh, made the biggest effort to get into ketosis and the, and they're actually measuring it so they know um you know they they're they're the ones that seem to make the biggest recovery of, of overall um but not everybody does want to go that far you know so it is it is a case of working with people and deciding what's right for them as well it's not for me to totally dictate what what they do or anything um i think that you well as you'll know jackie like once you get into ketosis you do tend to feel different um, so, you know, you don't necessarily have to be testing all the time to know, um, you know, that things are making a difference. But I tend to think that when you're beginning, it's it's more useful to do it because you can then kind of learn, you know, how you feel when you're in ketosis. And it kind of it helps you to kind of navigate your way through it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Since we met in May, you have had another diagnosis. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when I met you in May, I was kind of struggling a bit because the year, about a year prior to that, I had a viral illness myself, and I was quite ill with it um, for uh, you know ten days or so, and then I recovered. But I I never kind of felt a hundred percent again, so I felt I'd gone back to maybe ninety five percent. I was like, there's a few percent missing in my energy levels, and I could still ride my bike, I could still climb the mountains, but you know, just wasn't really feeling a one really. Um, Plus, I did have a couple of other symptoms. I had a slightly puffy face, like puffy eyes, and um, a postnasal drip as well, which really annoyed me. The postnasal drip in particular really annoyed me. And I tried lots of things um, over the year to try and make a difference. And then just I was I was thinking about it before I met you at the conference. Um, but a few one of the speakers in particular kind of intrigued me, and I went on and looked a bit more into. Um, a stricter version of a paleo ketogenic diet which was using just um meat and fat so i gave that a go and within about a week i felt better um so i got all my energy back again so i said i'd say i felt like 100 again and the symptoms improved they didn't completely disappear but they definitely improved like the postnatal strip was definitely better um so um so i did that for a probably coming up to about six weeks over the summer in total like maybe not quite I didn't I, I kind of experimented a little bit with different amounts of fat and meat and things but you know I pretty much cut most of the foods out like I probably went into it a little bit more gently like I maybe just had broccoli and cauliflower for a couple of days and that kind of thing and then kind of went so and then I've been away on holiday and I kind of went back to a more my traditional ketogenic diet really with including more fruits and vegetables and coconut and things like that avocado again um but I've just gone back on to doing a carnivore keto style with just meat and fat again this month to see if I can finally shift the rest of the symptoms and I did I have noticed the effect already actually within a few days the symptoms seem to be a bit better because they had got a bit a bit worse again um so interestingly do and I feel I was just saying to you before the call that I do feel really good on it so it's definitely doing some good for me for sure yep. yeah yeah so you Kat, you've said you've measured your ketones and then so that didn't I just reached across my desk and got out all my ketone testing stuff. So let's share our ketone test that we've just done. Yeah, so I did I decided before I came to call because in case you asked me as well, I thought I'll test um so I'm slightly earlier testing than usual, but actually I'd I, I was right in where I wanted to be really. So so my ketones were 1.2 millimoles. Um and that for me seems to make me feel pretty good that range between one and two seems to be like the optimal range for me so and I, I was you know before I tested I was I actually just said to my husband earlier that I feel really good today and I thought the ketones must be in the right spot so yeah it's interesting I sort of can tell now having experimented for a while I can kind of tell when I'm getting into that it's like you know just a little bit more raised up than just just getting into ketosis is so yeah and what was yours? And um, so I was just going to ask you, do you test every day and do you test blood? So I test blood. I, I have um, a keto mojo monitor, so it does blood sugar and ketones. And I, I don't test 
every single day um i tend to not test at weekends actually just because i'm out about doing stuff or if i'm away i might not take my meter but if i'm trying to do something like i'm just now trying to make sure that i'm staying at a certain level i will i will check it every day um i tend to just check about three o'clock in the afternoon so i tend to be eating two meals a day at the moment so i eat my breakfast around the eight o'clock mark um and then i'm having my dinner about between half five half six I can't go much longer than that I do get a bit hungry if I go too long Mm. I might I mean I might have the occasional little bit of meat if I have to go into town late in the day and I kind of think I might be getting hungry I might have a little bit just something that's pre-cooked or something just to keep me going but it'll be a little snack so I think you've been testing as well Jackie what were your results today so we tested just before we come on air and I did breath and blood so my breath Sometimes the breath is very, very similar to the blood and other times it's way out. Um, So my breath was 0.5 and my blood was 1.1 and I tested my glucose as well, which is low for me because it normally sits around 5.3 or 5.6. It was 4.8. So I'm happy with that. Very happy with that result. Yeah, absolutely. And you had breakfast and we're now recording. It's so it was about just after two in the afternoon when I tested and probably a bit before when you tested. And I had breakfast this morning. So my breakfast was at nine o'clock. So and I had a big breakfast. I had something like five um, bacon rashers and three eggs. Yeah. So I, I think I had seven bacon rashers and three eggs. So I did try and eat five eggs the other day. And that was just too much. I don't think I've tried that before. So yeah. I was like, oh, no, that's too much. Cut back. <laughs> <laughs> so just talking about the breath and the key uh, blood, mm. the other day when I tested, I just had the breath machine here on my desk and I thought, oh, I'll just test. And it was 3.3 or something like that. But my blood was 0.5. So it was completely yeah. the opposite. So I've got a breath monitor too. I have to say I don't use it very often because I I did track them for a while and I didn't find there was that much, you know, they were always different. So I kind of thought in the end, it's just confusing really. So yeah, there's no real correlation, but I don't think it matters. No. Just so you know what works, what is it for you. So you know what it is for you. And then, yeah, yeah, you just keep a constant track. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about mitochondria. Okay. Shall I start or? Yeah, why not? Why you? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's funny that is it's a it's a funny word in my house because my family are a bit sick and tired of hearing about mitochondria, <laughs> so they just groan every time I mention the word. So, but yeah. Um. So mitochondria are well, I'd like to think of them as the command and control center, really, because they're amazing little organelles. So mitochondria are in in all our all of our cells except for red blood cells um and they they have lots of different functions in fact the more you find out about mitochondria the more surprised you are about what they can actually do um but one of the the main functions that they have is to to make energy in the body so we have different ways of making energy but the most efficient way of making energy or making the most energy is where the mitochondria are involved um and they produce so and, and, and they can burn different types of fuel. They can burn glucose, they can burn fat. Um, but when we end up with a, a ratio of, of sufficient fat to um, to glucose, then we can, the liver will start to, in the mitochondria in the liver, it will start to make ketone bodies. Um, and then the ketone bodies travel to the cells just like the other fuels do, and they go through exactly the same process uh, in the mitochondria. Um, to make ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the fuel that we need to fuel all of our metabolic um, thousands of reactions. And it is amazing to think that in a day we produce enough ATP that's equivalent to our body weight, even though we don't know about it, because it's constantly being produced and used up, um, you know, hundreds, thousands of times a second in in your cells. Um, And in the mitochondria, the we have something called the it can sometimes be referred to as the electron transport chain or the electron transport system or um the there are other yep. names sometimes too yep cycle well that's the bit before it, it. That, yeah okay. so we have so so but basically what happens is that when fat enters the the mitochondria 
it goes through the Krebs cycle or citric acid cycle. Um, and then um, and then after that, it goes through the electron transport chain. So at that okay. point, what happens is that um, protons or electrons um, are, are pushed through um, or, or taken off molecules and put through the membranes in the mitochondria in at different um by different um, complexes that sit in the inner membrane. So what happens is protons are kind of pumped through by reactions into the gap between the outer and the inner membrane of the mitochondria. And then eventually what happens is that they, because they're all positively charged um, molecules, they, they, you know, they don't want to sit together because they, they, they're all, uh, you know, um, trying to, to get out again. And, and so what happens is that there's a there's a complex five um, that's the ATP synthase. And that that um, complex that sits in the structure is actually like a little um, it's like a tap. It actually physically turns. So what happens is that the protons come back through that complex and they literally turn it like a little mini rotary head. It's thought to be the smallest known like rotary mechanism known to mankind. And they come through there. And as they come through there, they produce ATP. So it's amazingly complicated. And each mitochondrial will have several of those complexes in its membrane. And then some cells like your like nerve cells, brain cells and heart cells that use a lot of energy, they literally can have thousands and thousands of mitochondria in each cell. So when you think of the scale of this and all these reactions that are going on, it is quite incredible, really, um, how the body is making energy. Um, so shall I pause there a sec? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds quite complicated, but then we know that the body is a magnificent machine that is very complex and probably better than any computer that we can create. So yeah. go on. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is. And so, so the fascinating thing that I think about ketones themselves is that when they go through this process, they actually the, the ratio that their structure has a higher ratio of hydrogen to carbon carbon atoms than other um fuels that we could use and so when they go through this process and they kind of get burnt um through that metabolic metabolic process they they burn at a higher rate of metab of um combustion so um, they produce about 30% more energy um than the equivalent of well, it's actually equivalent, I think, of pyruvate, which is the first stage of um, glucose breakdown, actually. So it's of that molecule. Um, and, you know, studies have shown um, if anybody's interested, they can look up the work of Richard Beach, who is one of the pioneers of this work. And um, he sort of showed that a heart that's running on ketones, um, you know, had 30 percent more energy. Um, and so that's really why ketones can be used. Well, it's one of the kind of main reasons why ketones can be therapeutic in their use because of this increased energy so you know um you know you can imagine that you know heart you know given ketones is is going to be working um more effectively for example not only that but there are two other reasons why ketones are, are helpful too the second one is there's much fewer um steps in the process than there is when we're burning glucose in comparison and that's because um they the there is much fewer enzymes involved in the process um mm -hmm. so i can't remember quite off the top of my head but there is quite a difference in that in that that process so ketones use much fewer steps so there's less to go wrong really and as a result there's less all those all those um enzymes have nutrient cofactors and things that need them to work properly so you know if you're deficient in a particular vitamin or mineral the enzyme might not be working as it is effectively so the fewer steps you have in a process the more likely you are to get the result you want um mm -hmm. and the third thing is that they use less oxygen as well um so one of the re that's one of the reasons for example why ketones are used therapeutically in brain injury when there are oxygen flow problems and they can be used elsewhere as well in fact you know um there is some research coming out that in conditions like long COVID and chronic fatigue, there are um, possibly um, vascular issues involved. And again, that often means that oxygen flow is not as good as it could be. So again, there's another reason why ketones can be, be helpful there, really. So. so it sounds like someone who has chronic fatigue, whichever one under the umbrella, 
would benefit more from being in ketosis than just low carb because they because of the ketones that that would be my personal view i think they would do yep absolutely and i think you know this why not give it a go i mean you can see how you feel um, people do feel differently at different levels of ketosis so as i was saying earlier you know um you tend to find there's a bit of a sweet spot for you so i think you know experiment a bit and see what works but i think give it a go because i haven't really met anybody who's tried a ketogenic diet and got into ketosis who said they didn't feel better i don't know mm. if you have jackie have you no Maybe. i'm just trying no some people don't stick with it yeah it's not anything within my control but i haven't no. had anyone that says they don't feel better i think i have heard I do know it's true that people who, you know, there is a sweet spot, so you might feel better at a certain level. I, I, there are people who don't feel so good when they get to higher levels of ketones. They can get a bit anxious. Um, it, it, sometimes that seems to provoke an anxiety sort of reaction at times. Um, but so, that you know, it is about finding what works for you, really. Um, and the other thing I forgot to mention about ketones is that they are very, very anti-inflammatory by nature. So yeah. that's the other big bonus that you get. And, you know, a lot of these conditions have probably have an inflammatory component to them, like most chronic diseases do. So that's, you know, it's, you're getting all these additional benefits, really. So with someone with chronic fatigue, would their mitochondria be down-regulated or less of them or they're just not working well? What, what do you think, what's in your opinion, what do you think is going on? I think it. we know they're not working as well. And there are studies that have been done that have shown that. Um, and to be honest, the area of chronic fatigue is an area that needs more research. There is not that much research out there. And there's very little research being published on a ketogenic um, diet in chronic fatigue. There have been, there is the odd study. There was a study done by Dr. Myhill that put people on a paleo ketogenic diet and tested their mitochondria. Um, and she found there was a fourfold increase in, I think it was ATP production, but I'd have to double check that to be honest, but you know, anybody interested can look that paper up. And, um, with, although I don't think I've seen, not sure I'd have to double check this, whether there's a paper, there's been a few papers published in relation to COVID, the, the acute infection itself and ketogenic diets. Um, we know COVID itself was a metabolic you know, people who had metabolic health problems were more at risk. So it makes sense that um, if, you know, if metabolism is not working so so well, that a ketogenic diet would be health. And there's, and there's papers supporting that as well out there. But it is an area that I would just love to see more research in. Yeah, but that's not going to happen because it doesn't make anybody any money, does it? Well, no, but there are, <clears throat> there are, you know, like if we look at mental health, there's a lot more studies being done now in ketogenic diets and things. So there are, and, and I've been having a little look every now and then to see what's in the UK. And there are there are still some other, there was research into like traumatic brain injury going on in the UK, epilepsy still, although the epilepsy has been proven that ketogenic diets are helpful for quite a long time now. There's the bipolar study that was just published by Edinburgh University and Ian Campbell. So that, you know, there are, there is maybe a little bit more happening, I would like yeah. to think, but... Yeah, maybe it'll knock on but then there's also people crowdfunding to do the research yeah. so maybe it will take a crowd fund to do that yeah yeah that would be good and uh, and this might be relevant to what we just spoke about but so why do people experience burnout and autoimmune disorders and chronic fatigue what yeah why what why do you think it happens so i think there's a there's no one straightforward answer to this but um I'll tell you what I think from my research and from you know my experience working with clients and my own personal experiences that you know people can be susceptible to illness for a number of reasons so if we just take like infections at this point in time uh, you know you can be sus more susceptible to to becoming ill with a virus in the first place um, you know, if you've got poor metabolic health, so things like, you know, high blood pressure, blood sugar control problems, insulin resistance, inflammation, but also dietary um, deficiencies and things like um, vitamin D or omega-3 or zinc or iron or selenium, those kind of essential nutrients, or also lifestyle things can put you at risk. So, you know, significant stress or, or, or trauma, um, you know, 
you know, also issues like with circadian rhythms being out of balance. There's other things that could have an impact on it that just make you more susceptible overall. And then I think what happens really is that there's what I like to think is that if you think of the what can affect mitochondria, for example, um, you know, there's different kind of what we'd call physiological stresses on the body. And the mitochondria are just like listening for all these things by chemical messages that come. Um, so when we say physiological stress, I mean things like physical stress, uh, environmental stress, emotional stress, mental stress. So they're all different. So if you just take like physical stress, you know, there's things like, you know, being too hot or too cold is a physical stress on the body, as well as things like the blood sugar, um, high blood pressure, things that are obviously sort of physical things. Um, you know, then there's the environmental stresses like, you know, air pollution or chemicals. Um, things in the environment that are not great. Um, and then you've got emotional and mental stresses. Mental stresses for me was a big one because I think, you know, not being in control of work or work overload or, you know, difficult relationships at work or whatever it might be for you. Um, you know, it could be financial stress as well. Um, you know, we know socioeconomic status makes a difference to, to health in general. And it also affects um, the levels of these types of illnesses as well. Um, and then you've got emotional stresses as well, you know, so so all these things just make you more susceptible. And I think there is a there's a couple of theories out there sometimes referred to as like the domino theory or I've seen it referred to as the catastrophic theory, I think, where um, basically, you know, you're going along in life and you've got all these sort of accumulating stresses on the body and then something is the final trigger. And for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's an infection. Um, you know, other people, it's maybe just too much mental stress. Um, you know, for somebody else, it, you know, it could be um, a chemical poisoning or something like that. But basically, the body kind of gets to a point where it's kind of struggled for a while. Um, and then, you know, it just says, I've, I've had enough, really, I can't cope with this. And then you end up with the sickness symptoms. And some people would just recover. And other people don't. So other people kind of get stuck in this situation. Um, and then the way back to health is really about trying to unpick all that, you know, and, yeah. and, and stack all the dominoes up again. And so that can take, you know, it's not necessarily going to be an overnight solution. And a ketogenic might, might not be the only component to it. You know, you might well need to look at your lifestyle and the way you're leading your life. Um, I was having a group call the other day with a few people along COVID. And, you know, all of them collectively were identifying that they had significant sources of stress in their life, you know, whether it's childhood trauma, um, difficult relationships, uh, you know, addiction problems, you know, there tends to be um, other things going on in life. But often people only kind of recognize some of those things once they've become ill. So, you know, often they're quite people can be quite high functioning almost until they get ill, you know, managing to keep on top of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and then, but it's only perhaps with hindsight, you look back and think, well, like maybe that wasn't good for me. You know, I was literally doing a hundred things at once. I was running around. I was, you know, coping all this stuff, but, but was it good for me? So. No, uh, it, your body just literally burns out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the we've talked a bit about mitochondria, but, you know, this the thyroid and the adrenal and, you know, there's other there's other elements to all of this as well that, you know, different body systems can be affected by all this. And the one thing we've not talked about is the gut, but with autoimmune conditions, um, one of the underlying things tends to be um, that the gut has some kind of problem. And often um, there's there can be intestinal permeability or leaky gut. So things are getting into the bloodstream that are going to set off an immune activation and inflammation. Um, so we, there's lots of studies now showing there's a link with gut health with a lot of different autoimmune conditions. So one of the keys, if you have an autoimmune condition, is healing the gut as well, um, and making sure that, you know, bringing down inflammation and trying to heal the gut and make sure that you're digesting your food well, um, you're absorbing the nutrients well, but we're not getting in what shouldn't get into the gut or into the bloodstream, sorry, so... So there's a couple of things. One thing I wanted to go back to with mitochondria is if somebody's mitochondria isn't functioning well, is it a lack of number of mitochondria or is it just the fact that they're not working properly or as well? Good question. So um, so what we know from the studies looking at chronic fatigue is that there is 
possibly lowered ATP production. So that energy molecule we talked about, it's possibly um, lowered outcome from mitochondria. So we know something's kind of not right with mitochondria, but studies show that there's kind of the, the bit called the electron transport chain that we talked about and um, where those um, high energy molecules are passed along the complex before they make the ATP. We know there's probably some um, impaired process going on there. And we know there's also potentially mitochondria damage in some way, um, possibly to the mitochondrial membranes, for example, from um, things like inflammation. Um, so highly reactive molecules um, that you know are reacting and damaging the kind of tissues in the mitochondria. Um, and also, so so inflammation definitely plays a role in all of this because you know those um, highly reactive molecules can do damage all over the place in the body, but potentially in in the mitochondria too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know the other thing to bear in mind is that if our antioxidant levels aren't great to kind of try and counteract that inflammation and bring it down again, then there's going to be more problems. So you know things like omega three or zinc or CoQ ten, all, all those kind of key nutrients for helping manage inflammation in the body. If they're if they're lacking in some way from our nutrition, then that would also possibly be contributing to um, the ongoing dysfunction as well. Um, and we do know that there are some well, there's at least one study I'm aware of where they've looked actually measured. That there's some tests you you can do. They are quite expensive to get done, but you can measure sort of mitochondrial function and ATP production. And they've shown a remarkable correlation between um, several markers of mitochondrial dysfunction and the severity of chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, mm. so so that's really interesting so it definitely points to the fact there's something going wrong there but I don't think we totally understand all the science around this yet and most of the time these tests are not being done like you're not going to get them from your GP for example so there's you know there are a few studies out there that have looked at it in, in a lot of detail so we need we need more science really yeah and then the other question was we've spoken about ketones being beneficial but are there other ways to increase mitochondria function? Yes, there are. So, um, so when we talk about increasing mitochondrial function. We're, we're, we're talking about a couple of different things. One, one might be what they call mitochondrial biogenesis, um, and that's really the process which the cell kind of um, is in control of um, how mitochondria replicate. Um, so, so mitochondria replicate by growing and dividing. Uh, and that's all controlled by probably complicated cell functions that I'm not going to go into today. Um, but the mitochondria, I think we've mentioned before about how I tend to see them as a bit of a command and control center, sensing the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. And then um, they're very sensitive to that and they can change their shape, their size, their numbers um, by this, um, you know, by various processes, including this um, division process. And you might have heard of hormesis. Um which is like, yeah, good stress, often known as that. You know, it's often talked about in terms of what, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's, you know, it's, it's the saying that often goes, but it's really an adaptive sort of evolutionary process by which exposing um, your body to mild stresses can help it to adapt and therefore cope better with more more toxic levels of stress. Um, so strategies that help you do that um, are helpful for mitochondria and they're called hormetic strategies. So you'll probably be aware of some of them, but things like intermittent use of various things is, is quite useful. So intermittent use of like, or fasting, um, yeah. or cold and heat, um, exercise, but be very wary of that with, we're gonna talk a little bit more about chronic fatigue in just a sec, but in general, these things are helpful for mitochondria and hypoxia, like um, actually restricted oxygen, for example. Um, so things like, you know, breathing techniques, saunas, cold water swimming. Um, it's much more easier to build up like heat than it is getting into cold water straight away. Like, although you can, you know, you can turn the shower down slowly and stuff. There are other ways to do it than just getting in the sea. But if you get in the sea, it's just going to be cold, isn't it? So, <laughs> I, I actually find that cold shower or turning the cold down in the shower is worse than just getting into a cold bath. I'd much rather get into a cold bath than have a cold shower. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I don't think, I think people are different, you know. Yeah, maybe. Some people, yeah. I mean, I must admit, if I'm having a cold shower, I prefer to have a hot one first and then turn it to cold, then just have it cold. 
to begin with so <laughs> but then I can go while swimming and I you know I can get in the water without a problem so it's funny isn't it I think it's just psychological that really so yeah and I'm quite lucky because we we actually do have a sauna at home so that was something I put in when 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 I'd already recovered but I wanted to kind of keep my health well um so we've got an infrared sauna at home so I certainly use that um and also a ketogenic diet as well as actually fasting because a ketogenic diet is a, is what's called sometimes a mimicking fasting diet so it's is getting some of the same benefits from that and um, they're all really helpful but what we have to be really careful of in a chronic fatigue situation is that if you're still in a crash phase then putting extra stress on the body whether it's supposed to be good or not is probably not a good thing so i always say to people we need to get the basics in place first um, before we start to introduce all these strategies because if you put somebody who's in crash phase in cold water the chances are it's not going to do them much good so we need to kind of stabilize things um, and get them to a point and, and I always think that that it, it's kind of once you've got to that stabilization and you're trying to you know carry on the maintenance and improvement of your energy levels when you've got to that point that's where they come in really really useful and I'm, I'm a big advocate you know um I think during the lockdown year I swam every single week of the year in in the sea in Scotland I'm quite far north so it's quite cold um you know I've got a sauna at home so I, I use a lot of these techniques as well as the ketogenic diet um yeah yeah and there oh there are others in fact in fact there are others because there's also um some evidence that even um different types of phytonutrients of plant chemicals like um resveratrol or quercetin um things like that you know have been found to be a hormetic effect again in the body um so that yeah there's a range of things really yeah but the the, the important thing is to get your body stabilized first yeah and not try and stress it it's already stressed so you don't want to add more stress you want to calm everything down before you start adding stresses yeah, so I'd definitely start. I mean, I did say the ketogenic diet was in there, but I would start with that because I think that's not a it's it's not a big enough stressor, you know. And actually, you have to be in that state because that's the state we kind of should be in. So it's not. It's almost like that one's the other way around a little bit, um, because that's you know it's actually the high levels of sugar and things in the diet that are actually stressing us kind of constantly. I think so. Um, so that's the one that I would say put in first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, and plus, we need the nutrition from the food. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a ketogenic diet, if it's done well, is a really nutrient dense um, diet, um, very anti-inflammatory. So yeah. all good. So then the other thing I wanted to, to mention, because we were talking about gut health and we hear that you have to have lots of it. And you talking about for you to heal, you've needed to almost cut vegetables out and do a keto carnivore diet we get told, oh, you have to have all ranges of the rainbow for vegetables and things like that. Eat lots of vegetables, diverse vegetables. I tend to think of it is that your microbiome will change according to what you're eating. And it's probably better to cut out the lectins and some of the other anti-nutrients that are in fruits and vegetables and more importantly grains is probably more important than getting a varied diet what what as a nutritionist what do you think about that so I think it depends who we're talking about so and this is where you get into the controversial land really in nutrition so um I think many people can eat a very varied diet with no problem at all and if they if they have no problem there's no need for them to cut any foods out mm. you know and and in many ways you know, it's an easier life if you can keep, your, you know, as varied a diet as possible. And it's or also if, if for example, for a minute, I know we've been talking a bit about carnivore things, but say, um, you know, you're not carnivore, you're omnivore or vegetarian, um, you know, then, you know, you, you're going to need a wider range of foods to get all the nutrients you need, um, potentially. So it you know, depends what what things often if you're excluding certain food groups like say you're excluding meat because you're vegetarian then you're going to need a wider range of food to get all the nutrients from so the most important thing is getting the nutrients and nourishing your body the way your body wants you know needs to be nourished um but you know when you look at the three the three there are three macronutrients like fat protein carbohydrates only fat and protein are essential mm -hmm. um you know, so if you're so as I say, if you're a vegetarian, you're going to you're going to be eating some foods that have 
those nutrients and you've just mentioned the kind of things that I talked about sometimes as anti-nutrients because you need them to get your protein um you know but if so but the, the reality is that the other thing that get you know that we've not talked about is fiber um you know the, the evidence on fiber is kind of mixed shall we say um, there are there's plenty of studies that show eating more fiber in such a situation seems to help people and there are studies that show that people with very severe um bowel problems often do better with less fiber so you know and it and so i think it's often a case of you know for yourself sometimes having to experiment a little bit to see what works and if you do have a gut problem then you might you might find that you want to experiment with less fiber but you just need to make sure that you're having enough fat and protein really which are the key nutrients to make sure you're getting everything that you need um the other thing i would say is that in my experience um animal fat is very healing for the gut um so i think um you know there's there's very little studies out there on this again it's you know this has come from um speaking to practitioners who use these approaches and and clients who try these approaches um my own experience is that you know often people adding more animal fats back into their diet do see their skin improve their gut health improve they feel better so and i think one of the big problems is that we've all been brought up to kind of fear animal fat mm. particularly because we see it as saturated fat and that's slightly wrong anyway, because all fats come together. You know, you don't find, you know, a fish doesn't just have omega-3 oil in it and animal fat doesn't just have saturated fat in it. it they come together. Um, I think people mis often misunderstand that. Um, you know, olive oil will have some saturated fat in it, for example. So we, you know, so to demonize one type of fat isn't really how nature delivers it. Yeah which i often think is if you can understand that point it, you can it maybe helps you realize why just picking on one thing isn't perhaps a good good answer there um so and i think because we were brought up to sort of fear saturated fat because at the time you know um you know for a long time the government health policy really was that that uh fat was bad for you and it would give you heart disease and diabetes and all the other things and of course now we know that's not the case um so it it takes a long time to turn that round in a population you know that's kind of adopted it so well because we did adopt it really well you know we had low-fat yogurt skim milk all these kind of things so so reversing that sometimes it's difficult partly because people just tend to like the taste of what they've been eating as well you know it's just palates change and you know you have to try different foods for a while sometimes before you you can like them you know I'm not a big fan of liver for example because yeah. I've never I never ate liver ever until this year and now I'm just trying to have little bits of it so that I can try and get myself to like it which is not that easy but, <laughs> but I'm trying yeah um yeah but all I meant was that we hear that you have to have lots of vegetables to for your microbiome and that's okay. not necessarily yeah. the case yeah, sorry i went a bit i went a bit yeah, no, but yeah. I just to clarify it's not it's not yeah. the be all and end all um so your microbiome will change according to what you're eating yeah. but what i do agree is that the microbiome if you're eating lots of ultra processed foods is not going to be as great as if you're eating fruits and vegetables instead um but you yeah. don't have to it doesn't have to be fruits and vegetables of all different colors it could be just meat and eggs for example and you do just yeah. fine your microbiome will change accordingly so i think it's more important I, to eliminate the ultra processed foods i totally agree um and i think the other really fascinating thing about the microbiome is it it's changing all the time you know so if we tested it now and we tested it tomorrow we get a different result because we know that actually the turnover of those bugs is really really high so you can quite easily you know you can begin to change it quite easily by diet actually um so you know if you did try something and you didn't think it worked for you you can quite easily go back the way as well <laughs> it's not the end of the world yeah. is it so yeah Excellent. So you were saying that you like um, riding and you rode for five hours and you like climbing mountains or as my sister says, mountains. So I've better say it properly, mountains. Um, tell us about some of the things you've been doing recently. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've had a couple of interesting events recently. So and when I when I went on to the carnivore diet, I was 
probably like anybody would be just slightly concerned how I'd react in terms of energy and everything else so um but I was determined to stick to it I had an overnight bike event recently that I did with my sister that was called the Dirt Dash um it was a new Dirt Dash event actually and it's it's a a kind of it's a partly a sociable ride but it's a get from A to B overnight ride so there's a remote camp normally and you carry your own kit like tent sleep bag stuff like that so you've got you know your bike's quite got a reasonable map kit on it and sometimes you have to carry your bike for little bits of it and stuff like that and there are sections that are quite technical so you are using quite a lot of energy and then we did 85 kilometers over two days with 1400 meters of scent so that's like climbing a mountain with your bike over those two days um and so I was completely carnivore. I had to take my own food and do a drop of food off with a cool bag on actually for the for the overnight because it got a bit complicated with the heat that we were in. So I was a little bit worried that I had some fresh meat or, or I had cooked meat, but I was a bit worried about it sitting in, in the hot all day. So I did do a little drop off of some food, but, um, but I took beef jerky and homemade pork crackling with me for snacks um ate a good breakfast in the morning and uh yeah I basically did the two days with absolutely no problems with energy not a single dip in energy and it was quite funny really because I was the only person um doing the event out of I don't know maybe probably in the region of 60 65 people something like that um that wasn't stuffing a lot of carbs down mm. you know a lot of jelly babies a lot of like energy drinks uh you know chocolate all, all sorts of things but very high um you know high carb foods really and they were having to constantly eat the entire way around so yeah. you know and it was the same doing it was funny because the day I went up Ben Nevis which was the other thing I did recently was I went so I climbed all up Britain's highest mountain with, with no carbs again just beef jerky and pork crackling on the way but the funniest thing was that it was actually the day of the Ben Nevis hill race so you've got all these amazing runners up there and they were literally, so there were people all the way up handing out jelly babies. <laughs> so we kept passing jelly baby stations and uh, the people with I were with obviously were eating carbs as well. So, um, but yeah, it's, there was no problem again. So, you know, yeah, just goes to show that you just don't need them really. Yeah. So how do you make your homemade pork crackling? Uh, so what I do is I asked the butcher for, a piece of pig skin and then I what well, I've, I've experimented in different ways actually but I've now found that perhaps the thing that works best for me is to to literally put it in a pan of boiling water for about maybe five ten minutes and then dry it off with some tissue um, and then put it in the oven and roast it um, at high temperature like 220 for as long as it takes really um, you know just I check it after a while and turn it over and, and then what I tend to do is at that stage when it's got a bit crispy, I chop it up because it's so hard to chop up. I find unless you've got a super sharp knife to begin with, it's really hard work. So I then chop it up and put it back in just to make sure it's all kind of crispy and there's not bits that are not, you know, cooked. And it's lovely and put a bit of salt on it. My mouth is salivating. Mm. So you put the salt yeah. on after, do you? I'm trying to think. I've probably done it both ways, actually. I've probably rubbed it in sometimes, and then if I've forgotten, I'll put it on after. I don't think it really matters, to be honest. You can do it either way. I didn't know if the salt was what made it harder. No, it'll definitely crisp up, but that's all. Okay. Yep. So asking the butcher for some pig skin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to know me and my butcher's so strange requests for food. <laughs> Moira, is there anything that we haven't spoke about today that you would have wanted to mention or...? Anything you feel I should have asked you? Oh, um, not that I can think of off the top of my head, to be honest. Good. That's good. Yep. <laughs> so how can people get in contact with you? Follow you on social media if you do social media. Yeah, so I have a website. So it's just my name, www.moira.newis, which is M-O-I-R-A dot N-E-W-I-S-S with dot co.uk on the end I think I said that yep um so that's my website um I'm on I use my name for most social media um so you, you know if you google me you will find me quite easily um I'm also use the name the energy reboot expert I'm a few things so on Facebook I'm on there um and yeah I have quite a lot of I have a few freebies on my website of guides that you can download so I've got a quick um keto guide and I've got a guide for um using meal ideas for severe fatigue 
Um, I've probably got other things I've forgotten about. And I've also got a recipe book that you can buy off the website if you'd like a recipe book um, to get started with, which is explains um, about the ketogenic diet. And it also talks about um, fatigue related um, conditions and things in there as well. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. So now we're going to finish off with your three top tips. Yeah, my three top tips. Okay. So my, well, I think I've probably mentioned them all at some point today already, but my three top tips would be firstly, not to be scared of fat, especially animal fat. Um, secondly, animal based foods really are the most nutrient dense foods. Mm. So, you know, really bear that in mind when you're choosing your foods. Um, and third, I would just like to say experiment because, you know, I treat this as a lifelong lesson now, really. You know, I didn't see myself a year ago eating carnivore. Um, I didn't expect to have a thyroid problem. And, uh, you know, but it's a lifelong learning and and every stage is interesting, fascinating. Yeah. Um, as long as it gets you back to full health, that's the key thing. So I would say don't be afraid to try things because if it doesn't work, you, you know, you can go back, you can try something different. And and we all have to kind of experiment a little bit to see what works for us. Yeah. And we're all different. So it's going to be different yeah. for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for being with me today. Well, no, thank you. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. <laughs> It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>